Our sermon text this morning uh, comes to us from Matthew chapter 9, and specifically the words to which I would call your attention are to be found in verses 18 through 26. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. It is inerrant, infallible, and authoritative. While He was saying these things to to them. Behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. Uh, Lord, uh, I come to you as uh, just a broken vessel, asking Father, that you would speak your words of comfort and peace to your people. Lord, that you would turn the sinner out of his way so that he might find grace in Christ through faith and repentance. And Father, that you would strengthen your people so that they might do your will. And in all of this, that you might glorify and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in his justice and in his mercy. We ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, This morning, as we continue uh, working our way through uh, Matthew's narrative here, we encounter two individuals, uh, two individuals who have been brought to a very, very, very low place because of their suffering. Their suffering and their anguish. And we're going to try in just a minute to put ourselves in in their place, to to see uh, their perspective, to understand what they're going through. But what we're called to observe here is how they responded to their suffering. What did they do in in the midst of it? What was their um, reflex, as it were, as they they responded to the suffering and anguish? But we also see in this text, the way that Jesus responded to them when when they came to Him, when they came seeking His help. And and what we're going to see is that in the very middle of this, um, you'll notice that faith is accented. It receives the highlight here in this passage of Scripture. And so it's important for us to take note of the operation of faith in these two individuals. 
to see what, what made them similar and what made them different. And I think maybe most importantly, you need to make a comparison between yourself and these two individuals. How do you respond? How would you respond? If you were this man or this woman, how would you respond to a trouble like they are, they, they are facing? Some of you possibly have faced some very similar troubles, some very similar afflictions. How, how did you respond? Or maybe right now you're facing some very similar afflictions and troubles in life. How are you responding? How's your faith? What we learn from this, this whole passage of Scripture, Matthew 9, 18 through 26, we see that life's afflictions, one of the things that they do is they reveal our need for Christ. When you face afflictions of various types, they reveal to you how much you need Jesus. They cause you to exercise faith in Christ and then patiently to await his loving response. As we read through this, you notice something kind of interesting about this passage of Scripture. You've got, we begin with uh, this ruler who came to Jesus and he's seeking Jesus' help, and then in the middle of it, sort of shunted in the, the middle of the passage, we see this lady who comes to Jesus for help. And at, that, at the end, uh, we go back to the ruler and how Jesus is working with him. Uh, we call this a sandwich. Mark, in his gospel, does it so frequently that it has a technical term. It's called a Markan sandwich. That's not Greek. Uh, that's just the way it is. He does this very often. And he, look, what's happening is there, this, there, there, it, it happened in this order. But Matthew is portraying it in the order it happened, sandwiching it in so that he can emphasize a particular point. And I want you to, to think through something with me here. Think, you've, you have been given the task of writing a biography of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. He has two natures. He has a divine nature, and he has a human nature. And in everything that he does on earth, from the moment of his, his conception, both of those natures are operating. Both of them. So when he, when he healed a man, the divine nature is operating and the human nature is operating. When he fell asleep in a boat, the divine nature is operating and the human nature is operating. The difficulty for you as you're writing this is, how, how do I get this across? How, in writing the facts of Jesus' ministry, can I, on the pages of that gospel, say to you, this man is a man, he is truly a man, and he's divine. Well, as we walk through this, there are certain points where, do, do you notice that Matthew, he, he's teaching you certain things. He shows you 
One, Jesus is omniscient. Now, he's not omniscient as a man, is he? Because no man possesses uh, knowledge of all things. But here he does. So you have to conclude, when, when he knows the man's heart, you have to say, well, this is more than an ordinary man. He possesses a divine quality. But he, he's also fully human. It, it, just a few weeks ago, remember? We, we observed how the disciples in Christ got into a boat, and what did Jesus do? Well, he fell asleep. Now, I don't know if your radar went off, but that, that's a pretty solid violation of Psalm 121. The Lord never slumbers or sleeps. So as you're working through Matthew's Gospel, we are seeing Matthew, Matthew under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at various points is accenting for you the divine nature. Here's the Godhead dwelling in Christ. And at other places, here He is as a man falling asleep in a boat. But you also see where this Divinity and the humanity meet. They're, they're not mixed together. They, they meet in the one person. He, he is showing you in everything that He does precisely who the God of the universe is. Okay, now yeah, you need to get this. This dawned on me in a big way many years ago. I grew up in a tradition where we read the Old Testament and that's the, that's the bad, vindictive God. I actually read a devotional recently. It made my stomach churn. It said that in the Old Testament was God's uh, judgmental law. But then you get to Hebrews chapter 1. This hit me like a ton of bricks many years ago. When you read about Christ, that he, that he is the fullness of the glory of God. That he's not making a break from the old covenant. He's showing you what a true man looks like who lives under the law and delights to do the will of God. The man that you and I should have been. But he comes along and he shows you also in places like this passage of Scripture how God, the triune God who gave the law also delights to reach down to His people whom He has formed by His own hands to lift them up, to comfort them when they come to Him in faith. The first thing that we notice in the passage then, as we see the fullness of the Godhead operating through the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing we notice in verses 18 to 20 is that life's afflictions reveal your need for Christ. They reveal your need for Christ. Notice first of all the ruler's affliction. We see in verse, verse 18 that while Jesus was saying these things, now what was he saying to them? Well, he's, he's talking about the wineskins. Uh, that you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because you're going to lose both of them. You're going to lose them both. The wine and the wineskins are going to be destroyed. So as he's saying those things, a ruler comes up to him 
without regard to the fact that Jesus is teaching, he just came up and he said, I need your help. What's the issue? Well, his daughter had died. We don't know. Is this expected? Um, is this a long-term thing? Had she been ill for some time? Maybe she, was, maybe she had been uh, disabled in some way for a period of her life, and then the death came, or maybe this was an injury. Maybe a rock fell off of the precipice of a mountain, and, and she was injured, and she died. We don't know, but all of a sudden, we, we find that she had died. And notice what, what the ruler said, the timing of it, uh, that she has just died. Her body is still warm, but the life had gone out of her. And his immediate response was to go to the Lord. Notice now who he is. This is a ruler. And the effect of this affliction on his life is that that didn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter to me the pride of my position. I don't care how I look before the people because my daughter has died and suddenly I need to humble myself and go before the Lord. I don't care who sees me. Is this a Pharisee? We don't know. But all of a sudden, the death of his daughter emptied him. And he went to Christ. We also encounter this woman, don't we? Look with me at verse 20. Here's the meat part of the sandwich, as it were. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood, literally a a hemorrhage, for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, verse 21, for she said to herself, "If if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. So, So on the one hand, we've got this man whose affliction came upon him suddenly. And we have another example of a woman who's been dealing with this hemorrhage for 12 years. How how old is she? We don't know. Did did puberty hit and all of a sudden her her body begins to change and and, uh, she's got this hemorrhage of blood and it won't stop? And Now one of the things that you need to understand about that is according to the Levitical law, if every time that a woman goes through her time of the month, she becomes unclean. What does that mean? It means that you depart from the tabernacle, you go away from your family, and you live outside the camp. You don't fellowship with Israel. So not not only, you need to understand this dynamic, not only is she suffering here from perhaps the anemia and the weakness that comes along with the hemorrhage and the difficulty of that and the fact now you've also got the fact that you you can't worship Uh, I can't go and live where my family does I have to live in a special place all of this is taking place and so this this gives you a little bit of idea why is she coming in saying if can I if I can just touch the fringe of his garment why, why is that the case? Well, again, you see the aspect of humility, don't you? She's hiding. I don't want anybody to know I'm here. And think about 12 years. Some of us, we would say in year one, all right, I, I got this, okay? I, the Lord, this is God's will for me. I've got this. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to be okay, and you're praying. You pray every day, Lord, let let my hemorrhage go away. You're consulting the physicians. What can I do? 
you, all your friends have come around and they've said, look, have you tried uh, rubbing essential oil counterclockwise on your belly? Did you, did you do that? Yeah, I did that. Did you get your rabbit's foot? Yeah, I did. You, did you lay upside down for eight hours? I did that. Everybody comes along with their remedies and they're telling you how to handle it. She had consulted the physicians. Nobody can give her an answer. You're two. You're two. Man, this stinks. You're five. You're, you're eight. Twelve years. Do you think maybe in this woman there, there might be some temptation to to say, well, man, I mean, God, God's disciplined me. There's some sin in my life. All of these doubts come in. Uh, he, he doesn't love me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. All of these things are afflicting her for 12 years. A sudden affliction and a long affliction. And these two people... In both of them, they are emptied of all self-love, all pride, and these afflictions drive them to Christ. Is that a good thing? One of the things that we find is when, when the Lord ordains afflictions for us, when He leads us through these valleys of life, what is the effect? Well, there can be multiple, but the good effect in your life and mine is when it shows me I can't do it. I can't solve this. I can't fix it. And I go to Christ. We've, as a family, we've been reading recently Thomas Boston. If you've never read a crook in the lot, you ought to pick up that book and read it as a family. It's excellent. But I want you to, I want you to turn, if you've got your Bible, turn over with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, this is where Thomas Boston goes, and I'm going to point out just a couple of verses, verses 2 and 3 of Ecclesiastes 7. Think about this with me. Thomas Boston says, think about these paradoxes. It is better, think about this, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. You agree? If you, you, you have your choose your own adventure book, and over here on this page you can go to the house of mourning, or you can go to the house of feasting, which way are you going to go? I'm probably going to go to the house of feasting. But the scripture says it's better to go to the house of mourning. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. Listen to verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Do you see what's happening? What, what, what the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, is saying to you is that when the Lord brings you low in that place, he enables you to see Christ more fully than you've ever seen him. There, there was an old sort of wives' tale that the Puritans would tell. Some of you, maybe you've got a copy of Valley of the Vision, Valley of Vision. And they would say, if you, if you, if you were put into the bottom of a well and you looked up, you could see the stars, even on a bright day. Now, that's not true. 
But the idea that they are trying to say is that when you go into the valley of suffering and affliction and you turn your face upward, there you can see Christ when you approach Him by faith. Thomas Watson, reflecting also on this, says, God sees humility to be better for us than joy. It is better to want comfort and be humble than to have it and be proud. Secondly, our afflictions in life lead us to Christ. However, now this is the important point. It is your faith that reaches out to Him. Afflictions lead you to Christ. Every affliction leads every man to Christ. Every affliction uh, is, is to remind us of sin. Remember Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. It is being revealed. Every man, every day receives a constant sermon of the glory of God and of the justice of God. But only uh, those of faith actually reach out to Christ for His help. Notice with me verses 19 and 21 as we go back to Matthew 9. And Jesus rose and followed Him with His disciples. There, Christ is pleased to respond to this man by going with Him. And this woman as well in verse 21 is saying in herself, if I only touch His garment... I will be made well. Now, here's what you need to notice. This is not the first time that we have encountered faith in the gospel. But you need to understand what faith is. It's not a blind leap. It's not just saying, well, I I don't know what's out there, but I believe something's out there and I'm going to trust whatever that thing is. It also is not saying, well, I don't understand everything uh, Brian says. However, I believe everything he says. That's not faith. It's not a blind leap. It's not just taking someone's word for it. It's not a last-ditch effort. This is not a chance meeting. The woman didn't go into the town square saying, who have I not tried? Oh, that guy looks new. One, faith is intellect. It is an operation of the mind. How do you think this ruler and this woman knew to go to Christ? Did they cast lots? No. No. They'd heard reports. They might have even seen some of his work themselves. And they, they, they'd heard about him. They knew. So they had, they had been told. Somebody came to them. Maybe a family member had said, this man did this thing. He can help you. And you see, they believe it. The, the knowledge goes into the mind. And then what happens? The heart grabs onto it. It says, you know what? I think he can do that for me. So so there's the operation of the intellect and then there's the ascent of the heart. I think He can do that for me. I'm going to go. 
and emptied of all self-love and self-trust, they finally, the, the mind is engaged, they believe the reports, the heart is engaged, I'm going to go, and then finally, all I have to do is touch His garment. You see, I'm trusting Him. He can do it for me. This is faith. And we need to understand these three elements of faith because then I can say, okay, where am I on this spectrum? You've heard the report. Maybe you've had faithful parents and grandparents who've who've preached the gospel to you all your life. You've heard it, and it's up here. Is there an assent? Have you got it in your heart? Is there an action? Are you reaching out? Have you gone to Christ yourself to get the remedy. You see, faith in afflictions enables you to respond wisely and peaceably rather than frantically and emotionally. How do I know where I'm on this spectrum? Well, how do you respond in your afflictions? When trials arise, when troubles arrive, arise, is there faith? Is the intellect and the, the uh, assent and uh, the trust operative? Would you be like this man? Immediately, his daughter dies. Where is he going? I'm going to Christ. Thirdly, notice that Christ is pleased to respond to true faith. I just want you to notice a few things here. We'll make this quick. First of all, Jesus clearly emphasized this woman's faith in verse 22. Daughter, your faith has made you well. We've seen that before, haven't we? You remember the, the four fellows on the top of the roof and they're lowering their buddy down and they're you know, clearing out the thatch and they don't care who it falls on. They're lowering him down and they're just suddenly, you know, he's plopped down in front of Jesus and Jesus looking... You know, sees the men as the dust and the hay sort of clear away from the thatch, and uh, uh, there's the man laying down in front of him. And he, he, you know, there's the man believing Christ. He's believing Christ. They're believing Christ, and look, seeing their faith. The, uh, the, Matthew said, "He said, son, your sins are forgiven you." Jesus elevated and made an example of her faith so that you too might see and understand, daughter, your faith has made you well. When you reach out with faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, it will always make contact. Because He's drawing you to Himself. Notice that Jesus responded to the bold faith of the ruler and the timid and the halting faith of the woman. It has nothing to do in this passage with whether it was strong faith or weak faith. She's just sitting out there saying, oh, I'm just going to try to get the hem of his garment. I don't want anybody to see me. And he broke up the Bible study. My daughter's dead. And it was the woman that Christ was pleased to exalt. You know what? If she had had bold faith, do you know what she would have done? She wouldn't have reached for the hymn. She would have known 
that she could go to the very feet of Christ with her issue, whatever it was, and you know what he would have done? Embraced her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Notice the intimacy that faith creates between you and Christ. Did you pick up, as we read the passage, did you pick up on a little, a little theme, a little motif that is there? Did, did you pick up on touch? What did the man say? If you come and touch my daughter, she'll live. What did the woman say? If I can touch his garment, he'll save me. And Jesus went and took that little girl by the hand and he raised her from death. From this you should always know that when you approach Christ in faith, he will always receive you with compassion and love and tenderness and gentleness. When you come in humble faith, Jesus draws you close. You think, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna get this far away. That, that's all I deserve. I don't deserve to be any closer. And Jesus is going to say, come on in. Another thing that you should notice, and I'll close with this one. You also need to notice that those who reject faith in Christ become outsiders and they do not partake in his goodness. Did you see that? And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the, the hired hands, as it were, the mourners, the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping, and they laughed at him. And what happened? Put him outside. Those who reject faith in Christ become outsiders and do not partake in his goodness. Now, now you see the importance of the woman and her flow of blood. She was an outsider. And when she came to Christ in faith, he made her an insider. And those who were on the inside, because they denied Christ and they rejected him and they mocked him, the insiders became outsiders. Life's afflictions reveal your need for Christ they cause you to exercise faith in Christ and patiently to await his loving response. This morning, as you think about your own afflictions, your past and your present and your future afflictions, there will be more. Do not fail to look upon the body of Christ which is broken for you. One of the things that you need to apply to yourself consistently is the fact that in in this supper, and as we think about the crucifixion of Christ, the, the physical suffering was just a thimble of it. You understand that? The real suffering that took place on that cross was not a Roman crucifixion. It wasn't the death of a criminal. The real suffering of that cross was that when God the Father looked upon that man hanging there, he saw you and your sin, and the full force of his wrath was poured out on his shoulders. You will never be afflicted like that when you come to Christ in faith. You will never experience that affliction because he has been afflicted for you. Amen. Let's, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for what you've done in our behalf. 
that not only were you pleased to pronounce to the world, even through Adam, that you would be pleased to destroy the works of the devil and to save those as trust in you. But you have powerfully demonstrated in the earthly ministry of your son, the God-man. Lord, we ask for your blessings today as we enjoy this meal that you've appointed for us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.